We're getting support across the board. Right now, Ford Motor Company, Stellantis, and GM have about a 7% approval rating. We're not just Hollywood actors on strike. We're working class actors. We are middle class actors. We're not just celebrities asking for, you know, more billions of dollars, right? So that means that if you and I are doing the same work at the same time, in the same way, with the same skill, we would still very likely get different hourly wages based on the data that the firms have about us. I see people going on a brief trip carrying more luggage than they could use in a month. It makes no sense. Checked bags get lost all the time. Don't be the guy or girl wearing the same clothes day after day because your bag got redirected to another continent. Very few people, they're just going to sit around and think, I think I'll sit down and listen to a podcast or a radio show. And I kind of like that. It, it keeps me on my toes because I'm not, I'm not guaranteed your attention, am I? You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, coming to you from the Labor Radio Podcast Network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Chris Garlock. On today's show, the Valley Labor Report talks to UAW Local 862's Todd Dunn about the ongoing strike at Ford's Kentucky truck plant. Then, news about the strike by Hollywood actors, now in its fourth month, is dominated by the big locals in Los Angeles and New York City. On the SAG After podcast, we'll hear about how it's also being supported by small and mid-sized locals across the country. Is tech discrimination the new way we work? The Solidarity Center podcast investigates how app workers are being exploited. Then, from the Million Dollar Organizer podcast, tips that union organizers use to improve their travel experience. I wish I'd heard this before my recent trip to the UK. Speaking of which, our last segment today features an interview Union Dues host Simon Sapper did with me in a London pub just a few weeks ago. Union Dues is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, and it was a real treat to get a chance to meet Simon in person. I should mention, he gave me a terrific labor history walking tour of London, which will be available soon on my own Labor History Today podcast. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and are we still waiting? Oh, no. Adam? No, we are we've not. Got- We've got we've got Todd. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we'll read the second ad later and we'll go ahead and talk to Todd. Brother Todd Dunn. He started as a vehicle assembly technician in the commercial light truck department in 1995, where he very quickly threw himself into union work. In fact, in just a year, he was already serving. Uh, He currently serves on Kentucky's labor management cabinet 
and most importantly, he is president of UAW Local 862 in Louisville, Kentucky, where 87 UAW members at Ford walked off the job on strike last week. He joins us now. Todd, welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm doing good, brother. How are you? Uh, pretty good. We've got uh, close to 9,000 uh, employees on strike. Uh, we're trying to process all of the um, strike signups for the uh, strike benefit. Uh, we processed about 3,500 yesterday over at our Kentucky Fair and Exposition Center, and hopefully we'll get another 3,000 today and finish up on Sunday mostly. Well, there you go. And that's something that people don't really think about with the strike. There's a lot of logistical stuff that, you know, the uh, the leadership and the officers and volunteers uh, from the rank and file do to make sure that, you know, people are able to get the support that they um, uh, that they're entitled to from the union and uh, and help them with with anything else that they might need during the strikes. Ford Motor Company at the Kentucky truck plant is profiting forty eight thousand dollars per minute, um, two hundred. $20 million a week, $29 billion a year. And that's one plant uh, at the Kentucky truck plant. So we make there uh, 54% of all North American profits. Uh, our our leadership, you know, you hear Bill Ford talk about, you know, this is the family where we are family, respect him, worked with him, know him, good fella. Uh, but when it comes down to it, there have been times when, you know, we felt like we were in the Ford family, but there's zero family feel at all. And that's something I've been sharing yesterday. We had uh, 13 interviews. I think eight of them were on national outlets. And they were saying, you know, the best deal, uh, Bill, Ford, Bill Ford said, you know, this is the Ford family. And I said, I don't know of any person that I've talked to uh, in Michigan Assembly, in Chicago, who I've been dealing with, you know, on their strike, because we're, you know, iron sharpens iron, we work with each other, or my men that are on the strike, nobody has that family feeling. You don't leave your family behind. Uh, so, uh, and then on top of that, to uh, keep us out of the battery plants, uh, to, to keep us thwarted away from uh, uh, being a part of the electrification and electric vehicles, EVs, when that's coming, it's almost like their uh, their strategy is to divide us and conquer, and that's not going to happen. Our future is the future of all those around us in our community. Nine ancillary jobs, vendors, suppliers, mom-and-pop shops, restaurants are created for every one auto worker. People argue nine or ten. So let's just take the ten math, right? So there's over 120,000 people in our community that are also affected with the members of Local 862 between the Kentucky Truck Plant and Little Assembly Plant. If they don't think that our future is their future, then they're mistaken. And I know they know that because we're getting support across the board. Right now, Ford Motor Company, Stellantis, and GM have about a 7% approval rating. So what does that tell you? That tells you that People in the community, unions, people seeing unions are supporting them, and they're starting to understand what that is. And when you talked about in the South, you know, about how so many members really take granted unions or won't vote a union in, it's like you're voting against yourself, right? And uh, all I would do is I would ask for uh, uh, people across the United States today would be 
just give us a look, ask questions, inform yourself, and then make a decision on whether you want to be union or not. And I think we're going to start seeing a, a big trend uh, change and go the other way. Yeah. All right. Well, brother, I appreciate your time. Todd Dunn, president of UAW Local 862 at the Kentucky Truck Plant, just went on strike last week. Uh, thanks again. I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all for looking out for us. Absolutely. Right. Thank you so much, Todd. Solidarity. Uh Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SAG-AFTRA podcast. I'm Duncan Crabtree-Ireland, SAG-AFTRA National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator. I'm Ben Whitehair, SAG-AFTRA Executive Vice President. SAG-AFTRA's fight for a fair contract extends to all corners of the U.S., including all 25 locals who work under the terms of the TV theatrical agreement. In this episode, we're going to talk to representatives from some of the small and mid-sized locals to explore how the strike is affecting them. We are thrilled to be joined by Gail Cronauer, a member of the SAG-AFTRA Dallas-Fort Worth local and the TV Theatrical Negotiating Committee, Andrea Lyman, the president of the SAG-AFTRA New England local, Jim Gleason, the New Orleans local president, and Courtney Rue, who serves on the Chicago local board and the SAG-AFTRA national board and is a member of the TV Theatrical Negotiating Committee. Welcome to you all. Yes, welcome. Let's dive right in. I am curious to hear the feedback that you're hearing from your local members about the strikes. Andrea, take it away. Sure. Our members are very excited about the rallies, the marches, the photo ops. We've been basically averaging doing um, an event a week. And our biggest event, I think, was Labor Day. There was a Labor Day breakfast. And then all of the various unions joined in with us. And um, Senator Elizabeth Warren spoke and Congresswoman uh, Ayanna Presley and local actors. It was it was phenomenal. All the people that are involved. Now we're in Dallas, Fort Worth. We're in Texas. And so uh, we don't have struck work here. There was a leafleting session, informational session that happened in Austin because there's an Amazon center there. But it's so easy to take the union for granted. You know, it's there. They do your issue your contracts. They send your checks. But this has been, and it sounds a little strange, an amazing opportunity to educate and organize people and for people to finally realize what the union can do for them, because we're in a right-to-work state. Jim, what is it uh, that you're seeing and hearing? Well, the right after the strike was announced, we almost immediately had a meeting, uh, actually, at the local IATSE hall. It's a small market. It's a very small market, and then the unions are really tight with one another. So we had a great meeting there, and uh, there were a lot of people that were uh, pretty uh, vocal about their support for the strike. It was They're pretty passionate about it. And then very quickly, we realized, oh, we don't have it like like uh, Gail was saying, we don't have any place to pick it uh, because there's no there's no there's nobody that, that would, you know, we're not going to pick at the local sound stages. <laughs> so we mobilized a, a rally about, about two weeks after the strike was announced and it was really well attended. And it was um, it was covered by the local news station. So we had a chance to be very, have a very public voice, which was great. I think what's important to show people is that it isn't just a Hollywood union. You know, we're, we're not just Hollywood actors on strike. We are, like you said, there's 23 locals outside of New York and L.A. And we're working class actors. We are middle class actors. We're not just celebrities. 
asking for, you know, more billions of dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> For more information and resources from today's episode, please visit sagaftra.org slash podcast. And if you gained any value from today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone else who might find value. If you haven't already, please tap that subscribe button and take a few seconds to rate and review this episode. And please follow SAGAFTRA on our official social media channels. That's at SAGAFTRA on all major platforms, including YouTube. The SAG-AFTRA podcast is produced and edited by Aaron Goddard and John Small. Supervising producers are Pamela Greenwald, Shira Reich, and Michael McNulty, with production and marketing support from Damon Romine, Jilly Cocante, Delaney Howard, Margot Giordano, Joe Mulgado, Mae Wong, Bernadine Robbins, and Maria Cabezas. The podcast is hosted by Ben Whitehair and me, yours truly, Duncan Crabtree Ireland. Platform app workers are making significantly less money than they earned six or seven years ago. But one group in particular has seen precipitous declines. Uber's own research suggests that women, on average, earn less than men by about 7%. So it's not that Uber considers gender in how they set these wages, but it is that the structure of the algorithms tends to recreate traditional forms of discrimination. Welcome to My Boss is a Robot, a podcast from the Solidarity Center. We're breaking down the nitty gritty of platform work, we're taking on the many problems that exist in the gig economy and are also paying special attention to the many hardworking people who contract with these big ride-sharing and delivery apps like Uber, Didi, and Rappi. I'm Shauna Bader-Blau, Executive Director of the Solidarity Center. In this episode, we take a closer look at how these algorithms rip off their workers by replicating wage discrimination that sees women and other marginalized workers get less pay. When the pandemic hit, normal businesses worldwide laid off their employees and big app companies like Rappi added drivers to its mobile fleet as fast as they could. Rappi is one of the biggest platforms in Latin America. Rappi was born in Colombia, and during COVID, its profits uh, skyrocketed. Now it's present in pretty much every single country in Latin America, and it has lots of workers in Mexico. That's Mary Perdomo, a labor lawyer based in Colombia. Not only do the app companies mine data on customers, their algorithms use data to influence their drivers. Vina Duval is a professor of law at the University of California, San Francisco College of Law. She does research on precarious work and technology and coined the phrase algorithmic wage discrimination. And what this term describes is a wage setting process that firms engage in, in which people, individuals are allocated different hourly wages based on data that is both personal and impersonal. But what it essentially means is that individuals get variable digital hourly wages based on black box algorithms that firms build. 
and based on the fact that we're different people and it sort of throws out the idea of equal pay for equal work, which is both sort of a moral and legal assumption we have in the U.S. about how work should work. The good news is workers are organizing around the world to change laws and dismantle the power. Here is Professor Dubal with the last word. So in the UK, there is a small organized group of drivers. They're the app Drivers and Couriers Union, the ADCU. Um, they're really this like amazing militant group of workers that have been organizing and that sued Uber specifically to say that they were actually workers who deserved access to an hourly wage floor and to their basic protections like holiday days off, pension contributions, etc. And that group learned while they were suing Uber that data was such a key way in which Uber was able to fight them in court because Uber had all this data that they didn't and that they couldn't even see or look at. And so what one of the drivers did, James Farrar, was form this separate organization called Worker Info Exchange. And what he's been doing is trying to sue companies like Uber under GDPR, which is the Data Protection Act in, in Europe. And of course, the UK is no longer part of, of the EU, but they sort of have their own data protection laws, and he's been able to do it in other EU nations. But what I hope that these workers in Europe are going to succeed in doing is showing that because really small pieces of information are going into wage setting, because it is so complicated, because it is so personalized, we shouldn't allow this kind of wage setting process to occur at all, that there should be a ban on what I have called algorithmic wage discrimination. The next time you have food delivered to your house or apartment, when you see the worker, make sure to treat them kindly and make sure to give them a nice tip too. Next time on My Boss is a Robot. Perhaps you're an unhappy app driver, alone, and don't know what to do. Well, it's time to get organized. We've got our union building toolkit with some experts of the trade. That's next time on My Boss is a Robot. I'm Shauna Bader-Blau. It's the Million Dollar Organizer Show. Tips for professional union organizers. Win more campaigns, balance work and family, and leave the competition in the dust. Now here's your host, Bob Odie. Hello, union organizers and future union organizers. Welcome to podcast episode number 78. Today's topic, next level travel hacks. Planning your trip. Always try and book a direct flight. If not available, Give yourself extra time between layovers. Flights are being delayed. People are becoming more and more impatient. Have you noticed? Travel stress-free by giving yourself extra time between connecting flights. Next, let's talk about packing. I always roll my clothing. It takes up less space and avoids wrinkles. Before leaving the house, take a quick photo of your luggage. This way, if you need to describe it to someone, you can show them the photo. You can do the same with any travel documents you might need. TSA PreCheck is worth every penny. It cost around $85 last time I checked. It saves travelers a ton of time getting through security lines. 
It seems like the TSA agents treat you nicer as well. At least that's my experience. Let me know what you think. Everyone uses luggage tags to differentiate their luggage from other passengers. Consider upping the ante by using air tags. You can track their location at all times using the app. Do not check bags. Travel light with one small carry-on and a small backpack for essentials. Nothing more. I see people going on a brief trip carrying more luggage than they could use in a month. It makes no sense. Checked bags get lost all the time. Don't be the guy or girl wearing the same clothes day after day because your bag got redirected to another continent. Now, sometimes we're forced to check our bag last minute while boarding. This can happen when they overbook a flight. In this case, use the backpack to hold your medications, phone chargers, laptops, and anything that might ruin your trip if it were lost or stolen. Carry the backpack on the plane and put it under the seat in front of you. Be kind to yourself. Bring only your favorite snacks for the flight. Get yourself a large bottle of water in the airport before boarding. Who knows how long your flight might take? Once at your destination, are you planning to use the iron in the hotel room? Heat it up a while and give it a quick inspection. Make sure it's not emitting any strange odors. Test it out on a towel before using it on your best clothes. Need to clip the curtains shut to keep sunlight out? Use the clips on a pants hanger. Every hotel room has them. Those are my next level travel hacks. Safe travels. Thanks for listening. We hope that you'll subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you'd like to hear the Million Dollar Organizer talk about. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Union Organizer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. The UK's only all things union show. Carefully curated for your digital downloadable listening pleasure. Hello, hello, and welcome to a brand new series of Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper, and in this episode, our special guest is one of the United States' most influential and important union podcasters, Chris Garlock. Not content with building a network of 200 union friendly radio shows and podcasts, Chris also produces and hosts a number of his own ranging from two-minute daily Labour news bites to interview-based heritage shows focusing on film, music and the art, truly an embodiment of the bread and roses concept. But where... Chris, welcome to the Union Juice podcast. Lovely to see you in person. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. How did you sort of get into sort of podcasting and radio work to start with? What's your kind of trade union journey, as it were? I was going to say, I give you the, the long, boring answer. The short, <laughs> I give you the short, sexy one. <laughs> hey, give, me, give, give me the long, exciting answer. Oh, oh, tough one. 
No, I, I was trained as a journalist, a print journalist, and and sort of radio and podcasting is is a natural outgrowth of of journalism. You know, <clears throat> I like I like quick turnarounds. I like to have as few steps between me. Like I, I don't think, you know, I, I organize a labor film festival. I love labor films. People say, oh, you should make a film. Films take years to make. Yes. You know, <laughs> I just yeah. I have no patience for that. That's why I like journalism. You know, I write it and it gets edited and it gets published and yeah and then yeah that is the bottom of the birdcage that's okay uh it's the same reason that i, I love radio and and podcasts uh, <clears throat> radio was kind of cool because radio you do radio it goes out in the air and then it's gone mm. podcasts are cool because they're like radio in terms of you just sort of throw them out in the air but they live on yeah. we were talking about oh, this yeah. uh, earlier where one of the cool things about podcasts is that I'll put out a podcast and I, I, I give a certain number of people who listen to it right away. But, you know, people listen to it a month later or two months later. It, it lives on. Oh, yeah. I think the other reason that I really got into and really appreciate radio and, and podcasting, it's a very intimate format. You know, people listening to this are probably working out like I, I know you like to do when you're listening to podcasts or walking like I need to do like to do or maybe driving or cooking or and and but you're usually doing something else. There are very few people that are just going to sit around and think, I think I'll sit down and listen to a podcast or a radio show. And I kind of like that. It It keeps me on my toes because I'm not... I'm not guaranteed your attention, am I? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It must be it must be good to see the president of the United States on a union picket line. That hasn't happened before, I don't think. No. No, we've never we we at best what you know, we would we would get, you know, a president like, you know, Obama said some nice things about union. We were very excited about that. But no, we have never seen a a president actually not only go on the picket line, but be fairly militant in terms of saying you deserve a good contract. It was just, it was just nuts. You know, A, that the president of the United States would show up not only on a picket line, but wielding a bullhorn, which is a classic image for us, you know, on a, on a picket line, right? I know union leaders who I've never seen with a bullhorn. I'm not using these. I've never seen on a picket line, right? So to see the president on a picket line with a bullhorn saying, "You deserve, you know, a forty percent raise." The big thing we talk about in the U.S. is about how you know when Reagan fired the the, the air traffic controllers, it was it was like Thatcher and the coal miners, yeah. right? It wasn't just about Thatcher and the coal miners or Reagan and the traffic controllers. These are messages that go out across the country yeah. to every working person to every union member says you got a target on your back you know there's there's a change right this is like that in a good way when you have the president on a pick line with a bullhorn saying i'm with you it changes things so whatever happens with that strike which i'm sure they will they will win it but it's much more important in terms of what it says to other people People who are in a union who want more, people who are not in the union who may want a union. So yeah, it's 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 critical. Yeah. yeah. So as I say it's been been great to, to meet you and talk to you and best of luck. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Well, my thanks to Chris for some fascinating insights. And if you want to access the network, then visit Labor Radio Network, all one word, and Labor spelt without a U. Labor Radio Network.org. 
You've been listening to the Union Jews podcast, presented by me, Simon Sapper, music by Scott Holmes, a Makes You Think production. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labour Radio Podcast Weekly. Just a very small sample of the programs aired recently on more than 200 Labour Radio and Podcast shows across the country and, as you just heard, around the world. They're all part of the Labour Radio Podcast Network shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the network shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them, use the hashtag laborradiopod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly was edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produced the show and our social media guru is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock urging you to stay active and, of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. Music